Hallelujah. I am thankful for this morning. I want to do a disclaimer right now. Now, sometimes as the preacher, and I'm the preacher today, and I don't take that lightly, and I don't take that uh, big-headedly, but it's my turn. And so, but it's really not my turn, see? It's not. I just, I just do what I'm told to do, whether you believe that or not. I just do what I'm told to do. Whatever, whatever God tells me to do, that's what we got to do. And if he don't tell me to do something, I'm in trouble because <laughs> I don't know what to do. Uh, so sometimes we get to come in, and the preacher, like last week the preacher was Julie, and we get to come in and we get to see illustrations, and it's a lot of fun. And I received last week. Hey, I don't know about you. I received last week. Now this morning, we was entertained last week, and we received. I don't have a lot of entertainment for you this morning. So listen, this is what we say at work sometimes. Sometimes we have to put our big boy pants on or girl pants on. Sometimes we have to do that as adults and sometimes as kids. Sometimes kids have to put their big boy pants on. So this morning, I need you to put your Christian big boy and big girl pants on because we're going to go on a little journey and we're going to get into the Word and I got to give you what God told me to give you. Now, listen, if you have to get up and leave, if you need to go take medication, if you just like, this ain't for you, just it's okay, you can go. My feelings won't be hurt. But I'm going to give the word this morning. And I'm going to do some teaching this morning. We're going back to Sunday school class. Can we go back to Sunday school class? You remember back in Sunday school, they had those little, uh, now some of you won't remember this, but back in Sunday school class when I was a little boy, nursery, nursery can go is that what I'm saying? sorry pastor nursery, if you're in the nursery, nursery go if you're in here and you need a nursery, just go teens are staying in here, I'm sorry I'm bad about that sorry Micah you get me today Micah's throwing a fit no, just kidding back when I was a little boy when we did Sunday school class just hang with me just for a minute Dill. sorry we would do these, we had these, they had felt boards we did not have these. We had felt boards. Anybody remember a felt board? And then they had little cutouts. The teacher would cut them out. And sometimes your teacher wasn't a very good cutter outer, so Moses would have like his top of his head cut off. Or it was like a really old one. And they would take those little figures and pop them up on them felt boards. And there they'd be. And they'd be like, hi there, my name's Moses. Look, Moses is going to the Red Sea. Well, we're going to do some of that this morning, but maybe not quite like that. All right, you got your laughing out of the way? Have you been entertained? Okay, good, because the entertainment's over. All right, let's go. When I think about Jesus and his life on earth, there are uh, so many words that we could describe that with. Uh, We often sing a song around here. It's called Waymaker. It describes how we know Jesus. It goes like this. He's waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God. Yeah. That's who he is. We do that sometimes. And that is who he is. 
He's a promise keeper. He's a light in the darkness. But there are three words to me when I think about Jesus and his life on earth. There are three words that come to mind for me, that have come to mind to me this week. And they are quickly becoming politically incorrect and they're not popular words anymore. And in fact, they're kind of looked down on by a progressive secular society that's getting a big push in our country. And these three words are sacrifice, submitted, and surrender. They're not real popular words anymore. When I begin to put sermons together, I like to look things up, even the simplest little words and stupid things, because that's how my mind works. And whatever app that I just Googled them, and I looked up those words, I was just looking them up and reading about them and whatever. I don't know why. I don't have anything to do with this, but I just do that. And it showed a chart of how much an English language word is used and how, like, it either goes up or it goes down of how much like it's used anymore. And for all three of these words, it started out at 1800 and it was up here for those three words. Sacrifice, submitted, and surrender. In 1800, it like was way up here. And from that point, it just went <laughs> nearly dropping off the chart. I just thought that was interesting but they're not real popular words this morning I want to focus on one of those words I want to focus on surrender I want to focus on living a surrendered life to God it's the best thing that I've ever done personally <laughs> it's the best thing I've ever done personally living a surrendered life to God it's where you lose the worst part of yourself and you find the best part of yourself. Now, surrender, it's not always pretty. Surrender doesn't always look pretty. Sometimes surrender is an ugly picture. We're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. But I want to talk about being surrendered. It's not popular, it's not fun. But let me assure you this. It's not popular. It's not fun. It takes discipline. But it's the easiest life you'll ever live. It's the best life you'll ever live. Living a surrendered life to Jesus. You can't have salvation without surrender. And salvation wouldn't even be possible to us had Christ not surrendered. Surrender. It's at the root of everything. It's from the beginning. It's from the beginning. All right. The first step of surrender. Thank you, Dylan. There's a... There's a... Uh, a few forms. There's a form of surrender that we often look at. And it often gets overlooked and maybe belittled. Not in this church, but in so many circles. Because there's a few things that Christ told us to do that seem um, ceremonial or ritualistic. <clears throat> One would be the Lord's Supper. And the other being baptism. Oh, baptism. Baptism. It's a sign of surrender. It's a sign of surrender. And, and it's kind of a big deal. 
Uh, I I, want to just, just before I get started in this, I just want to, can I just talk about baptism? It's kind of a big deal, baptism. From the beginning, very beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ to the very end of it, baptism, literally. And I'll get there in a minute, but some of the last words Jesus said talked about baptism. Baptism. You say, well, it's just ritualistic. Well, maybe. But if Jesus said, do it, I want to be a part of it. If Jesus said, do it, I believe there's some power that goes along with that. In the beginning of the gospel, we see John the Baptist preaching a sermon of repentance, telling people to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he followed that up with baptism. In John 3.22 later, we see Jesus out. And he's introducing the concept of being born again. And the scripture says that he was telling them to repent and be born again, and to be born of the spirit and of the water. And we see Jesus in John 3.22 baptizing people. Jesus. And in Mark 6.16, just before Jesus ascends into heaven, he's getting ready to go. It's part of his last words he speaks. He says, Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever doesn't believe will be condemned. Dylan, I feel like I'm really hot up here. Thank you. Maybe I'm not. but Huh? It's a what? Yes, yes, I'm sorry. If you didn't, it's starting to ring a little bit in these monitors. I didn't want you all to think that I thought I was whew, hot. No. <laughs> but in Mark 16, Jesus said, uh, whoever believes and is baptized, you're going to be, it's good. And on the day of Pentecost, we see Peter preach a sermon after he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and he says, uh, he says, uh, every one of you must be, must repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the give, forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the Holy Spirit. You cannot be, have salvation without surrender. I'm not trying to put an emphasis on baptism, that it, but it, the baptism is a part of your surrender. Just like following Jesus after you make a decision, following Jesus is the action that happens afterwards. And when we put our hands, or we put ourselves in somebody's hands, and we let them... Put us down underwater. We are surrendering, saying we're taking part. We're reenacting the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what we're doing. We're surrendering. We're physically surrendering to showing the to show the spiritual surrender that happened on the outside. Is it simply ceremonial? I don't know. I think there's something that happens. I think it's a mile marker that we, when the hard days comes, that we can look back and when the enemy comes in like a flood, that we can stop and say, no, I remember when I gave my heart to Jesus and when I was baptized, the old man went down, the new man came back up, and I'm a new person, and I'm not going there anymore because that man's dead. It's a big deal. It's part of surrender. It all starts with an act of surrender. It all starts with an act of surrender. Worship is an act of surrender. In order to truly worship, we have to surrender our egos, 
And we have to surrender our self-image and put God where he belongs. I said to truly worship. Now, sometimes we get together and we do this because everybody else is doing this. All right? And and we, we do it because that's what we're supposed to do at church. But true worship, when it comes from down in here, it's because we put God and we're looking at God for who he is and in the position he is, and we put ourselves and what we want in the moment out of the way, and we are simply honoring him. And sometimes we're too embarrassed to do that. Sometimes we just, maybe we're a quiet type, and we just kind of hold back because we're scared of what somebody else thinks. But listen, when I don't know about you. I can't, I, can't, I can't give your testimony, but I can give my testimony. And when I think about what God has done for me, when I think about where God has brought me from, I can't think of, of who he is and where he sits and his position. I can't help but think of how small I am and, and how quickly I can mess things up. And it can't help but come up out of me. And it, I don't know what yours looks like, and I don't really know what mine looks like, but I want to encourage you today, when we come into a place of worship to just get into a place of surrender and not care what anybody else is doing around you and you do you you do what your spirit set your spirit free to give honor and glory to God surrender in your worship surrender in your worship hallelujah I want to tell a little story there was a story in your Bible uh, we all call the story, the woman at the well, it's found in John four nineteen, and we find Jesus and this lady having a conversation, okay? They're having this conversation, and when they get to the end of their conversation, uh, I, let me just paraphrase it for you. The woman looks at Jesus and says, well, Jesus, uh, my people... We, we, we worship on this mountain, and Jesus, your people, you, you, you're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. And Jesus kind of stops her and says, listen, the day's come, and the day's coming quickly, and the day is now when those that worship must worship in spirit and in truth. And there's going to be a, this, by the way, this lady was a Samaritan lady, so she wasn't allowed to go and worship where the other folks worshiped. He said, there's a day coming where you won't come to your mountain, and you won't go to Jerusalem, because right now, this is what Jesus said, if you read this, he said, there's people worshiping that don't know what they're worshiping. There are people worshiping and they don't know why they're doing what they're doing. They're going through a ritual. They're going through a routine and they don't even know why they're doing it. Hey, but when we surrender, when worship becomes a surrender and we see God for who he is, then that's when we worship in spirit and in truth. Do you hear me? That's when we worship in spirit and in truth. I want us to look at a Bible story. And I'm going to get into a little Sunday school lesson just right here. Can I teach Sunday school lesson for about eight minutes? Can you handle eight minutes of a Sunday school lesson? And then I'm going to preach my second point after this Sunday school lesson. And then I'm going to close the service. Can we do that? Can we do that? I don't care how long it takes. If you need to leave, you can leave. Have Pastor Steve done told me. So. <laughs> I want to tell you a story. I'm going to read the scripture. It's Luke. 17 if you have a Bible and we're going we're gonna to break this down because the breakdown of this is important. This is a story of worship. One day Jesus was traveling along the border between Samaria and Galilee on the way 
to Jerusalem. As he was going into a village, ten lepers met him. They stood at a distance and shouted, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when Jesus saw them, he told them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. While they were going, while they were going, they were made clean. Their leprosy went away. Okay. But one of them, when he saw that he had been made clean, came back and praised with a loud voice. He worshipped with a loud voice. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. Now the man was a Samaritan. Hmm. Jesus asked, ten men were made clean. Where are they? Where are the other nine? Except for this, these are the words of Jesus, except for this foreigner, were any of them found to return to give me praise? He told the man, get up, go home. Your faith has made you whole. Now, let me stop right here because something happened. Something happened in this story. Let me give you a little background. A few things we need to know to understand this story completely. In order for a leper to go back to normal life, if he had recovered, he first had to show himself to a priest. And a priest had to declare him, you're clean. They had to check him over and say, okay, you can enter back into society. That's the first thing. Samaritans were looked on as a lower class of people. They were often discriminated against horribly. They didn't worship, at, as we read earlier, they didn't worship at the same place that the people in Galilee would have. They worshiped somewhere else. Okay. Now, can you put up that map for me? It's important to see this because we don't, this is a neat little story we just read. But if you don't see the, uh, the geography of things sometimes and read the backstory, we don't get the full meaning. This means so much more to me. Okay, here we go. The little circle right here. This is Galilee. Can you see the circle? This is Galilee. Nazareth is right up there. Uh, uh, Right there, see it? Nazareth, right there. That's where Jesus was coming from. If you do your Bible history and see where he just came from, that's where he was coming from. He was going to Jerusalem. We just read that in the scripture, right? All right, so I was looking at this map, and I was going, man, if I was Jesus, man, look at these mountains in between here. And I looked, and I said, I actually did the research of the route Jesus took. This is the route Jesus actually took. This is the route that I would have took. I thought it was pretty neat. He shot down through the valley, hit the Jordan River, cut across, boom. That's the route he would have taken. He wouldn't have come across all these mountains because the mountains, like, that's the way I would have did it. I thought it was cool. Like, me and Jesus think a lot alike. So there it is. Jesus was traveling, and his boys were traveling 91 miles. But the Bible says in this scripture that he was on the border of Samaria and Galilee. Galilee's a region. Samaria is a city and a region here. So, they were probably, I don't know if you can fast forward it, right there. There, right there, Samaria. This, uh, they were probably, is there an orange line getting ready to pop up? 
Can you Right there. Okay, pause it just for a second. Jesus was probably right in there when he encountered these dudes. When he looked at them and told them, okay, go and show yourself to the priest. They, the boys that were Jews, had about two miles. Two miles to go and show themselves to the priest. But the one guy in the bunch, this is important to understand, the one guy in the bunch was a Samaritan. He could not go to the Jewish temple. He had at least a 25-mile walk to go and show himself to the priest, which was from, go ahead and you can play it. I don't know if I write any more on this. This is just a little thing. 25 miles. He had to go from there to there and across all the mountains just to go show himself to the priest. Okay, you can shut that off. But as the dude was going, as he traveled, I believe he had a revelation of who he had been in contact with. And he was more than just a priest, but he was a great high priest. And when he looked, when all the lepers obeyed Jesus, they were made clean because they did exactly what Jesus told them to do. But he said, this one man, this Samaritan, this foreigner, Jesus called him, realized what this man had done for him and realized who he was and said, I know a way, a shortcut, and I know I can go back to the man that made me clean because he's the great high priest. I'm going to go show myself to the priest, and I'm going to go give him worship. And he recognized Jesus as a great high priest. And Jesus, he took, he, he perceived that. Because Jesus didn't say, go back and show yourself to the priest again. Jesus declared him clean. And Jesus told him in that scripture, go home. Go home. Go be with your family. Take out the middle man because you just took him out because I'm the man. And when we see God for who he is, and we surrender at his feet, and we get down in his presence, he'll cut out the trip. He'll cut out some of the mountains. If all we have to do is surrender. Do you get it? Do you get it? <clears throat> Number two, a calling and an identity comes with surrender. A calling and an identity comes with surrender. Do you hear me? All right. Matthew 4. Let me read some scripture. Matthew 4. I'm going to start with verse 18. While Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon and Peter, and his brother Andrew, Simon Peter, excuse me, I said Simon and Peter, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew, they were casting their nets into the sea, why? Because they were fishermen, and Jesus looks at them, verse 19, Jesus looks at them, and he says, follow me, and I will make you Fishers of men. He gave them a, a calling and he gave them an identity. But in order to walk in your identity in Christ, if they were going to walk in their identity in Christ, if they were going to walk in the power in Christ, if they were, which they did, we know what they walked in the disciples, the apostles, they had to do something, they had to follow him. Oh, let's see what else he does. So at once, they left their nets and they followed him. Going on from there, Jesus saw two brothers, James the son of Zebedee, 
and his brother John, they were in a boat with their daddy fishing, repairing nets. And he also called to them. He said, follow me. He gave them the same call. And immediately they left the boat and they left their father and they followed Jesus. There's some surrendering that goes on when we choose to follow Jesus. You have a choice. You have a choice to accept your calling and your identity. You have a choice to walk in the power and the anointing that God has for you because the power of God and the anointing of God isn't reserved for people that stand in a pulpit. They're not reserved for people that hold a title in a church. Do you hear me? There was no church when Jesus said, I'm going to fill you with the Holy Spirit to his disciples. And he did that and sent them out and began to heal the sick, raise the dead. They were just making it. There was no. It wasn't there yet. There was no positions. There was no apostles. Although they were founding apostles, there were no apostles yet. We somehow think that walking in the anointing and power of God is is reserved, but it's a choice. It's a choice that you make. Jesus gave them a calling to follow him. And in the following of the calling, they found their identity. I said, in the following of their calling, they found their identity. I could stay here a while. I'm not. I'm out of here. But, uh. There was another instance in your Bible where Jesus offered the same thing. He offered the same deal. It was just a different dude with a different, he wasn't a fisherman. It was just a different dude. And Jesus didn't approach this guy. This guy actually approached Jesus. I'm reading a lot of scripture this morning, but I don't know if you know this or not. Bible's important. I didn't come to entertain this morning. I come to give you a little something. And I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope it's, it's making sense. It's going to come together. I hope it's coming together for you. Mark 10, 17. I'm going to read just a little more. And I'm hurrying. As Jesus was setting out again, a man ran up to him and knelt down. Oh, you see that posture again, right? Just like the leper. Yeah, you see this posture. He came up to him and he knelt down. And he asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life. Jesus said, why do you call me good? Nobody is good except for God. You know the commandments. Never murder. Never commit adultery. Never steal. Never give false testimony. Never cheat. Honor your father and mother. The man replied, teacher, I have obeyed all these since I was a young man. Jesus looked at him and said, Jesus looked at him and let me we support we see this part and loved him. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Then he told him. So he Jesus wasn't just saying this out of meanness. He he emphasized the word emphasized this he loved him. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Then he told him, "You're missing one thing." I wonder what he was missing. Maybe it's something called surrender. I don't know. Let's find out. Let's read the rest of it. You're missing one thing. Go and sell everything you own and bring the money back to me. Nope. That's not what Jesus said. 
He said, go and sell everything you own. Give the money to poor people. And you will have treasure in heaven. He said, Jesus said, you do that, you'll have treasure in heaven. And then come back and follow me. He gives the same call. He gives the same opportunity to this guy. Shocked at the statement, the man went away sad because he had many possessions. Because he had many possessions. We have the same opportunity as Peter, James, and John in the sailboat to be a part of the awesome things that God's doing or we can walk away sad if you don't surrender to Jesus and I promise you will walk away sad and you will live in a place of unfulfillment not knowing who you are, not knowing who your identity is wondering who you are, wondering if you're living up to your potential because you don't have a clear view of who God is I believe that Jesus set this dude up on purpose this dude, he set him up on purpose just to see if he recognized him because Jesus, he said, good teacher and immediately Jesus says who is, who is good except God? I believe Jesus was setting a little bait for him like any good fisherman just to see if he would say, well, you're God. But the young man never did do that. The young, the young ruler, the rich young ruler never looked at Jesus and never said, well, you're God. He said, but I kept all the commandments. And he talked about all the commandments that this dude talked about was commandments that involved his fellow man his people that he could see. But he never talked about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. He never talked about not having any other gods before. All the commandments that deal with loving God and putting God first was never mentioned because he didn't recognize who God was. He wasn't willing to sacrifice. I'm going to tell, tell you something right now. Whether you know it or not, you're a rich young ruler in this place. You say, but I'm poor. I don't, I don't have nothing. I don't even have a place to live. You are a rich young ruler. You live in a country that resources are available, that you can have whatever you need. We are all rich young rulers. And I wonder if this, in this country, I don't wonder, I know in this country that it, so many people put parts of their lives back in little pieces, in little rooms, and we don't surrender to God everything. God, I'll surrender my billfold, but I'm not surrendering this part of my life. I'm going to keep this over here. Or, God, I, I, I'm not going to surrender my billfold, but I, I'll, I'll, I'll surrender this. Do you hear me? God don't want just part of us. He wants a total surrender. He wants a total surrender. When you try to walk in partial surrender, it'll never work. You'll go away sad. You'll go away unfulfilled. You'll go away not knowing who you are. You'll go away not knowing who you are. You'll drift through life like a feather on the water. No direction. Just going. Jesus told the rich young ruler to follow me. Jesus told the fisherman to follow me. Following Jesus is an act of surrender that comes after the decision to follow him. We talk about a decision. We talk about salvation. We talk about being born again. But oftentimes it stops right there and we never follow. We've got to follow him. Because when we start following Listen, when you ask Jesus, when you give your life to Jesus and you surrender, and you ask Christ to wash you in his blood, and you become born again, you make that decision, the Spirit deals with your heart, you surrender, you are sinless. Yeah. 
that doesn't mean you'll never sin again. You're, you're in. You're good. It's not an overnight process. All of a sudden, you're not just going to like be like Jesus. But we become like Jesus because we follow him. And we follow those who are following him. Paul said this, follow me as I follow Christ. So we leave out the following part so many times. And we get, we, we're just like the rich young ruler. We're, we talk about all the rules we follow, but we're not following Christ. All right. Dylan, I want you to come back to the music. I'm closing. I'm closing. Can I tell you my surrender story? Ah, uh, this is, this makes my, I'm just going to tell you right now, it makes my parents uncomfortable when I share my surrender story because it's, it's really ugly. It's really ugly. Mom's back there sweating. She's fanning herself. <laughs> now listen, I said that, but in her defense, she's been fanning herself all morning. <laughs> I did say that so everybody would look at her fanning herself. Listen, when you raise your kid in the presence of God and you take him to church and you teach him how to live and you don't just tell them how to live, but you teach them how to live, okay? And you said, listen, I'm saying this, they're not saying this, and you set nearly a perfect example of what a man and a woman of God should be. And then that kid don't do what they ought to do. And then a season of their life, they act like a total heathen. And they live like they didn't have any parents. It's embarrassing, I would say, for them. So, don't be embarrassed, mom and dad. You didn't do it. You did everything right. You did everything right. You, you, and I'm, I'm here. I'm here to, listen. And I'm here to tell the story how I've overcome. Because it's goodness and mercy power of do you hear me uh, that's why that song means so much to me I'm alive to tell the story how I've overcome of the goodness and mercy and the power of his love I want to tell my story some of you may know my story some of you may think you know my story but you probably don't know my story now you're ready for my sermon I told you about surrender, and I showed you some surrender in the Bible, but now I want to preach my sermon. Is that okay? Oh. Come here, Mandy. I, want you, I just want you to hold my hand. Can you hold my hand? This is my wife of 26 years. Hey. November 22nd. Heels, come on now. Where's your cowboy boots? That's what you wore when we got married. Was cowboy boots, wasn't it? Yeah. We had bells of hay in the church when we got married. An old man, step up here. It's all right. Act like you own a place, baby. Come on. Let me show you this back down this place. It wasn't in this building. It was on 817 North Sugar Street when we said I do. On November 22nd, 1997, and it was a little cold and windy and snowy. And I had a bunch of groomsmen 
my best man sitting back there in the back row, what's up, dude? And we all wore cowboy hats, and I wore blue jeans and a big belt buckle. Come on. And cowboy boots with bells of hay, lots of country music in church that day. I didn't even mean to make that rhyme, but it did. Bells of hay and lots of country music in the church that day. And there was. And we said, I do. Hey, 26 years later, here we are. Here we are. But we wasn't always holding hands and saying, here we are. Because the space in the middle where the surrender happened, it wasn't pretty. It was not pretty. I, listen to me, I, I want to show you what surrender looks like this morning. <clears throat> I was a horrible husband. And sometimes I still don't get it together right until February 2010. I, I was a maniac. I was a bad person. I had a bad temper. And I, I didn't cuss. I didn't necessarily. I was mean. We went to church every Sunday. And when I would go to church, I made sure I looked real good. That's why I don't really wear suits anymore to church. I'm just being real. Like, I used to wear the most beautiful, blingy suits you can imagine. Purple, orange, yellow, blue, uh, plaid. I would wear the most blingingest suits, and the coats would come down to my ankles, and they had big buttons on them. And I didn't even preach then. I just did music. I just played the bass. And I, I did not know that I was a white bass player. I thought I was a bass player of color. And ah, I get it. And, boy, we looked the part. Dress our kids up for church, but I was a really bad husband. I was mean. I said mean things. I did not respect my wife. I treated her like trash. And I was not good. To the point on July the 1st, say, boy, you got a lot of dates. Well, when bad things happen, sometimes you remember. July the 1st, 2009. Uh, I was home just getting off work. She wasn't there yet because she was doing her job. And she come home and she wasn't home when I got home and I didn't like that. And I just began to verbally abuse her, tell her how lazy and worthless and terrible she was. And why wasn't she home and why was you out doing this and that? You should have just been home. It was terrible. She looked at me and said, we're done. I want a divorce. This is over. We never argued. We never argued. I was just mean to her, and she never argued back. She does now. <laughs> say what? Say it. Yeah, I do now. Yeah, that's what she said. I was just making sure she could verify that. She said, I do. I do now. I was just mean to her. Drove her to a point. Twelve years of marriage of most of it being mean to her. And I don't know. I wasn't surrendered to my marriage. I wasn't surrendered to my wife. I wasn't surrendered to God. But I was a whole lot like a rich young ruler that I was more interested in keeping a few rules and looking like I'm supposed to look and, and, and 
honestly just like trying to an image to keep dad happy and everybody in the church happy and the people in the church happy and that's why I just like when I come to church with jeans on anymore like I don't do that necessarily just because it's stylish I'm just like I'm just transparent you just get what you get with me anymore so you just get I just do me and uh so we start this pro like there was no change in her mind I was like devastated I'm like oh what are you kidding shocker I was just so shocked that she wanted a divorce nobody else was nobody else was shocked that she wanted a divorce just me like people have seen how I treat her they was just kind of like took her long enough 12 years of that that's horrible we start going through the process I begged I pleaded I was like I'm changed I'm better it's all good I'm, I'm a different person and it's like it's over so we start this process right and about halfway through like the judges like I mean we our paperwork's filed we done been to the courthouse we're just working things out with the judge like what the judge says is fair and what we thought was fair wasn't fair so we're just working things out and getting paperwork in line and and in somewhere in the middle I stopped like I got real bitter like back to where I was when I was being mean to her and boy I just it I turned it on even more and every time I seen her I'm, I would tell her how I would be like you're so ugly well, I care. We're getting divorced. I'd be like, you're so ugly. You're such a terrible person. You're a horrible mom. Hmm. And in the middle of the process, I got so bitter. But in February, I started getting of 2010. So we're going on like six, seven months, right? We're just fighting, clawing different places, doing the shared parenting thing. Uh, I started getting these weird phone calls. And it started with one from my grandma. Two years ago yesterday, we lost her. Ah, I miss her. I get this grandma, I miss grandma. But she was very, she had streaks where she would just like, she didn't like operate in a prophetic all the time. But man, she sometimes she would just have a word and you better listen. She grew up with my grandma, Miss Linda. And grandma called and said, I had a dream. If grandma called and said she had a dream, she called and said, I think everything's going to be okay. See, I don't think grandma knew how bad I was. But I had pushed Mandy to the point she was at and the things she, where she was in life. I had pushed her there. And so Grandma said, things are going to be okay. I had a dream. Mandy's going to be okay. Well, she didn't know that I was the one that was more erect than Mandy. She said, everything's going to be okay. And it made me mad. She's, I was like, I don't want this marriage to work. I don't want it to go on. Because I... I don't even like her. I can't stand to look at her. Then I got another phone call. My sister Juju called me. 
she said, hey, Mandy came to church. This she went, uh, Julie was at New Start at the time, the church just down the road, and Mandy's parents attended there. She said, Mandy came to church with her parents this morning, and she prayed, and she gave her, she surrendered her life back to Jesus. I was like, nice. And? I was mad. I was not surrendered to I had not surrendered any part of me. It was my way, the highway, and that was it. Do you hear me? You say, why are you laying it all out there this morning? God told me to. So, whatever. If anybody responds, it's good. If nobody responds, it's good. Just being obedient this morning. When you hear me say that I'm thankful, when I stand on this stage and I holler and scream and say, you don't necessarily know where I come from. You don't know the struggles I've been through. But I'm here and I'm whole. I mean it from the bottom of my heart. I got a call that week at work from a lady in the church. And she says, I just talked to Mandy. She called me. And she would really like to work things out. Boy, I was mad. I was so mad. I hung up on the lady. I said, we are not having this conversation. I hung up the phone hard. I got off work. I don't like share this kind of stuff, but I'm just going to. You say, why are you being this transparent? I was like, because I want you to understand that your mess that you're in, as ugly as it is, it's not that ugly. It could be uglier. I left work that day I was so mad and I went through the, the carry out and I loaded up I loaded up boys I said give me a lot <laughs> I went home I started drinking I started throwing beer bottles like a crazy man all over my house started busting bottles crazy man crazy out of control Crazy, rock bottom. So here's the deal. Here's the situation. And I'm not telling this story to glorify that. I'm telling this story to glorify who he is. Drunken mess, busting beer bottles all over to my, my house. We're in the middle of a snowstorm in January. My parents are flying in from Belize uh, and their driveways plugged up. <laughs> and I'm at a point I can't even, I can't drive, I can't do nothing. And me and Chris Humbert and Doug Rich was supposed to go shove my, shovel my dad's driveway out and I couldn't do nothing. I was just a wreck. And Mandy knew I was a wreck. And so I, I don't know who called her. Somebody called her and said, he's, he's out of control. He's done went crazy. And so Chris was coming over to pick me up. And I was going to go try to help shovel. I couldn't hardly stand up, but I was going to go try to shovel. And he shows up. And Mandy shows up about the same time. And me and Mandy's having a fist fight out in our front yard. I wasn't much in, in any position to fist fight. But she picked up this big, I remember she picked up this big, huge thing of snow and she busted it over my head and I fell down. And, and Chris is standing there watching this go on and I'm acting like a crazy fool. 
And Chris, I, I, Chris said, I was talking to him a little bit about this morning. I remember Chris looks at me and he said, you got this? And he got in his car and left. Well, word was spreading among my friends that things were not good in a brozier house. Because <laughs> somebody was a wreck. She took my hind end and, that she, and she threw me in the shower and turned it on. And she started cleaning up all the mess in the house, all the busted beer bottles and plates and whatever was everywhere. That, does that sound like rock bottom? Hey. Another friend shows up. <laughs> he had heard. He shows up. He's so concerned. He can hear me screaming and hollering in the shower, and I'm sobbing. I'm crying. I'm mad. I'm full of mixed emotions. I want my wife back, but I'm so mad. I don't, I'm like, I'm so unsurrendered that I'm like, nope. I'm fighting off. I'm fighting off wanting to repair my marriage. And my friend, my other friend walks in. And he looks at me and he's like, oh my God, what is she doing here? She ain't been here in months. What is she doing here? He like comes in the bathroom and I'm in a, like, he was like worried because he hear, he's like, dude, you okay? I'm like, oh, I hate her. Get her out of here. I hate her. And literally, he did the same thing Chris did. And this guy wasn't even a Christian at the time. He looked at me and he said, you got this? And walked out the door. Nobody wants to deal with a crying drunk. She came in that bathroom. Listen, don't ever let anybody tell you that when you surrender to God, that God can't change everything right now. Sometimes it's a process. Sometimes it takes a while. But don't let anybody tell you that if God wants to, He can restore you in the pop. Because He can. And when this little girl, this woman, little girl, this woman, surrendered to Jesus at altar at New Start, something happened to her. She had faith in her that was new, that she had never had before. And she believed, she received when she prayed. Mandy just come over me. She just held me. Begin to pray for me. Begin to pray for us. And on a cold night in February 2010, I surrendered. And my life was changed forever. I began to follow after him, and my life was changed forever. I'm going to open these altars just here in a minute, but I got to tell you something. That's not the end of the story. My little baby girl's not here today, okay? But if I have my little, if my uh, little Annie's in the back, but if I could, I should have planned it a little better. I would say, let me show you what surrender looks like. And I would have both my daughters standing here with me with my son, whole and healthy. That's what surrendered looks like. It may not look like that in the process, but when surrender's over, 
Let me tell you, when Jesus laid down his life on that cross, it wasn't a pretty picture. The surrender process wasn't pretty. The Bible says he was unrecognizable, that his back looked like a plowed field. His act of surrender was ugly, but it's what completed it. Oh, the story's still being written right here. Shortly thereafter, you go sit down, baby. I love you. Shortly thereafter. I'm going to share this little weird part, and then I'm just going to, like, I'm going to tell Pastor Steve to come up. He's like, he always likes me. He's like, you, you reel in your own fish. That's what he says, kind of. So here's the weird thing. So I surrender. We surrender. We are surrendered together. She comes to me shortly thereafter and says, I know what you think this is going to look like. She said, but I've been diagnosed with cancer. And I've known for a minute, and I'm just now telling you. She said, they're going to go in. They're going to put a port in me. They're going to put a port in. They're going to start doing chemo. And they want to put the port in soon. <clears throat> and uh, it was bad. But we were surrendered. We had some weird things happen in our house. We was, one night, we were laying there and there was a evil, evil, demonic presence that came in and we were scared and we were both waking up while she was woke up and then she woke me up and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a scary, nasty thing. It's in this room. And we just would begin to pray and we fell asleep and then later that night she woke me up and she's like, look. And we woke up and there was like two of these angels in the room and they brought a message from God. And like, let me tell you, when you become surrendered to God and you begin to follow Him, you don't have to be following Him for a long time for God to be doing some amazing things. And you think, boy, that's a kooky, crazy story. I'm telling you right now, there was demons in our room, and shortly followed up, there was two angels standing in our room, and I looked one of them right in the face. And one of them was a great big dude, and he had long hair, and he was like big, and like a warring angel, and the other one was a messaging angel, and he had short blonde hair and round cheeks and a round nose. I seen him. Ah, you can't take that from me. And it was crazy. It was so cool. And it was comforting. And we just began to have these prayer meetings. And God began to propel us into a surrendered lifestyle. And we was at a prayer meeting at my sister's house. <clears throat> and they, uh, John Walden was, some of you may or may not know John Walden. He's a friend of mine. John Walden, he's a, a little younger than me. He was preaching at a youth event. And we was watching the live stream, and the computer went dead, dead in a hammer, shut the computer, and we did, there was no plug for it or something, and the computer wasn't even unplugged. Am I lying? No, the computer was dead, it wasn't plugged in, and we was watching it. There was a, I'm telling you this, and I'm on fast forward, because I'm telling you what God does for surrendered, because you don't know my story, but you're about to know some more of it. You just know a little bit of it. So we're sitting there, and there was a lady by the name of, what, uh, 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 Jennifer Wigington. Jennifer Wigington, she was a young girl. She was our age. Uh, she was like in her 20s. Uh, she had cancer. She was dying. And John was praying. John was praying for Jennifer at that time, but we wasn't watching it on the live stream. It was when live stream first came out. The computer's dead. It's off. It's unplugged. The lid is shut. It's under the couch. And all of a sudden, I'm sorry for sharing weird stuff, dude. All of a sudden, if I'm lying, I'm dying. All of a sudden, the 
computer started talking. And it was John's voice. And he said, cancer must leave. And we all kind of looked at each other. That was weird. And then it did it again. Cancer must leave. We all just kind of looked at each other. Julie said, I just feel for Mandy to have that port put in. She went back to the doctor. I don't know. I may be getting some of these details wrong, but let me just tell you my version of it. She goes back to the doctor and says, check me one more time. Check my blood again. Cancer must leave. There was nothing. What does that mean? It's what a surrendered life looks like. I'm not saying that's always the outcome. I'm just telling you my story. And I'm here to tell the story how I've overcome. It's the goodness and mercy and power of His love. I know I've been a long time this morning. I told him I would be. I want to encourage you to be surrendered. I want to encourage you to hold nothing back. Surrender all to you. Everything I give. Withholding nothing, withholding nothing, I surrender all to you. In this building this morning, you've heard a story, not a not a not a, a one that was written by someone else but a true life story of what a surrendered life to Christ can do. You see Chad and Mandy and you see their family and many of you didn't know them back then. And so you see them now and you say, wow, man, look at, look at that. Many of you today, if you'd have known them back then, would have written them off. Say, not me, Pastor. We have a tendency to write people off. When they fail, when they fall, when they stumble, when they mess up, we go to next. I'm glad God doesn't go to next, but he looks for our surrender. And he says, if you surrender to me, watch what I'm about to do. Where others have put a period, I've put a comma to where I can finish writing this thing. This morning... 
in this building, can you do me a favor? Just stand all over the house if you're able. I'm so thankful for the authenticity of the message today. It takes a level of transparency that many of you don't understand when you share something so deep. It's a whole lot easier to hide that stuff and just show the good. But we need a, we're in a generation today that needs to know about the good, bad, and the ugly. It's not always been easy. But as you're standing today, some of you may have felt like coming to this altar and saying, I surrender. I surrender. I surrender my life. I surrender my marriage. I surrender my money. I surrender my time. I surrender my plans. I surrender my destiny. Because we all have things we want to do our own way. I surrender myself to you. There's some of you that say, well, I live a surrendered life. I believe God's challenging you right now to see if you truly are surrendered. So in this house, we're going to sing this. And I don't want you to sing it unless you mean it. I want to give everything to him. Hold nothing back. To where when I'm done, I can hear well done, my good and faithful servant. I cannot be a servant unless I've surrendered. This morning we're going to sing, if you truly mean you're surrendering to him, I want you to sing. If you're ready to surrender, these altars are open this morning for you. I surrender.